My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our programme will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, I'm delighted to welcome Mark Wilson, CEO and Managing Partner at Wilson Fletcher, onto today's programme. Uh, Wilson Fletcher is a business innovation consultancy that helps grow digital companies. Uh, Mark, very warm welcome to yourself and uh, thanks for joining us. Morning, Scott. Thank you for having me. Uh, good morning to you, Mark. And um, it's a very busy time, isn't it, at Wilson Fletcher? And I believe a, a congratulations is in order because it is the twentieth anniversary of the business. I believe I'm right in saying it is this week. Yes, we um, we set up. I think Steph and I did our first day's work on the company. I think it was either either this day um, or tomorrow, twenty years ago. So yes, it's quite a milestone for an independent business like ours. Yeah, it absolutely is. And um, with regards to what it is that you specialise in, I suppose I've given the very concise version of exactly what it is that you do. So just kind of set the scene for the listeners that may not be familiar with the business. What would you say your specialism is in your own words? Sure. We um, Fundamentally, we're a, a, a business innovation company. And what that means is we help organisations of all shapes and sizes um, use new ideas, new strategies to bring um new propositions to like in market or to adapt their business to the the I guess the prevailing needs of this sometimes redesigning the entire organization and rethinking how the organization helping them develop a new product or service or a new venture that will allow them to open up um, entirely new marketplaces, reach new customers. And we have a particular focus on on helping people reach their future customer. Um, so there's a lot of our work is centered around modeling who you might be serving in two, three years' time, how their behaviors will change, um, and what kinds of services and products you can design for them to enable entirely new behaviors um, or to serve them you know, for where they will be at that point rather than to just try and meet the needs of now um, when they you know, reach that point in the future. Yeah, certainly makes sense uh, from my perspective. With regards to sort of the uh, the backstory behind the business, of course, we've established that the business is 20 years older this week. Did you know sort of prior to 2002 then that maybe going into business for yourself and starting a venture like this was going to be the uh, the way forward for you? To some extent, yes. I mean, I mean I've been in the digital world for, God, this is a confession, um, something like 33 years now. So um, I'm a I'm a grey hair in this business, um, and um, so I've I've largely operated in this domain. And I think this is the third company that I've, I've kind of led over that time. So um, yes, it's always been part of uh, my DNA in lots of ways. I trained as an architect originally, um, and that that kind of design. Um, underlying kind of um, design ethos um, has always been part of the work that I've done. So yes, I think right from the from, from a very early age, um, I saw the, the the digital domain as being somewhere that I could really enjoy, you know, doing the kind of work that I do. And what would you say, sort of early on in your career, were some of the fundamental lessons that you learned when it came to sort of building business? Just because we do have a lot of younger, sort of entrepreneurially minded people that do tend to tune into this and may have sort of that idea themselves, but may not necessarily know exactly where to start with it. I think that's a great question. I think if I could have written myself a letter um, in the past, 
Um, I think I probably would have advised myself to get more advice. I think um, it's one of those things that you, you you don't really see the path ahead of you as clearly as other people might see it. But I think there are there are endless lessons in the world that you can learn from others who've experienced them already. Um, and I, you know, I certainly learned some incredibly valuable lessons from more experienced colleagues and friends, and many clients that we've had over the years who might have been CEOs of major companies or who have been on kind of fast growth paths with their own businesses. Um, and the lessons that they impart, the things that you learn from other people's experiences are, I think, you know, among the most valuable things that you can ever take on as a business leader. So I would say, you know, cast your, your, your net widely um, and gather as many views and get as, as much um, kind of diverse input into your thinking about, you know, particularly if you're a young company, as you possibly can. Yeah, certainly very good advice from my perspective, because the future is something that we don't necessarily think about an awful lot at times, and we can't always see into the future. Sometimes we're guilty of assumption, but when it, certainly when it comes to the uh, the digital space, I suppose future-proofing is a buzzword that comes up uh, quite a lot at the moment, yeah. and we're seeing a lot of sort of business leaders, CEOs, directors starting to sort of rethink their strategies towards future proofing and future growth. And that, according to a great many commentators, has actually brought a radical shift in priorities for various business leaders. Certainly so since COVID and since the emergence of the current economic situation we find ourselves in. So from your perspective, Mark, working with business leaders quite closely, what are some of the key elements that they're thinking about right now, or certainly that they ought to be thinking about? I think you've raised a good point, actually, in, in raising the future-proofing um, aspect of things. I, we, we have a different philosophy on this, and this is something mm. that I've, I've felt very passionately about for years. I think we, we call it future-making, um, and I think the reason for that is that when you look at some of the biggest changes that we've seen in, um, in the services that we use and how we interact with the world over the last... 10, 15 years in particular, those have been initiatives that people wouldn't have said that they wanted. Um, they wouldn't have identified them as pain points necessarily. But as soon as something came along that gave them a new, better capability or a new way to behave than they had before, they jump on them and they adopt them. So I think when organizations are thinking about, the, the you know, conceptually thinking about future-proofing themselves, what they really should be thinking about is how to build new positions or um, you know new behaviours in the people that they serve, and that's whether they're a government or whether they're a you know a two-week-old startup that that really uh, kind of allow them to own that future agenda. And when you know when we talk about the future, um, we're really talking about a few years hence. When this is not you know people shouldn't be engaging in um, much long long-term stargazing because it's very very difficult if not impossible to plot those sorts of future patterns but it's very possible to jump a few years down the line and we typically use a three-year horizon and say right what should we be now what could we be offering what could we be doing um, that we couldn't do three years ago Um, we'll often run exercises with, with business leaders where we'll ask them to design the business um, you know, three years hence, that put their business out of business, um, and it's a it's a it's a great exercise to go through because it forces you to think about 
how you would do things really differently um, and what you needed to get to to then look back to figure out um, what changes you'd made along the way. And what very often happens is that when people design that future business um, or that future service, um, they then look at their current organization and go, hmm, I think we probably should be doing that now. Why are we doing these things? Why are we still doing these things that we're doing today if we really don't believe that they are what we what will give us you know our, our our kind of best and you raise an important point there about sort of not looking too far ahead into the future because um there are things on the horizon that are quite often we don't see coming and i think the uh, the covid-19 pandemic was certainly a very very good example of that so i suppose when you are sort of making future planning um the key thing is to be able to keep the vision the same but also to be able to innovate and adapt the plan as well because if it doesn't survive yeah. first contact with the enemy you've got to have that agility about you yes absolutely um and i think the the pandemic was a great example of um, how often, sadly, uh, you know, adverse situations force changes on us. And I think when we look at how people's behaviour has changed since the pandemic, we're obviously seeing enormous um, changes and pressures on um, working behaviours, how people work, where they work, the times they want to work, and so on. Um, but we've also seen an enormous amount of, of plasticity in how people think about things. So there are lots of things that people value more now than they did um, before the pandemic. So we've heard lots of people talking about, you know, their, their enjoyment of open spaces because obviously when we were all locked away, that became something that became very precious to people. And there were lots of innate behaviours that we saw change quite quickly. So, you know, I've used this anecdote a number of times, but if, you know, if I'd said to an elderly relative that you would be, um, talking about intimate details of your medical history on a video call, potentially even, you know, showing parts of yourself to a doctor on a phone, they would have said, absolutely not. Um, obviously, over the course of the pandemic, there was no choice in many cases but to do those sorts of things. And it, it, it softened the boundaries for many people between what they would have allowed themselves to do in the past and what they had to do because of circumstances. Mm. And many of those changes, those those enforced changes, have driven, I think, a lot of fluidity and plasticity in the way that people think about um, how they can do things these days. So they learn to trust that that was something that was a good thing to do. And you know, now many people are, are electing to take a video um, appointment with a GP instead of an in-person appointment. So I think when we get those sorts of periods of dramatic change um, or new capabilities are you know, suddenly added and we're seeing that artificial intelligence and services like open banking is all these things that happen um, behind the scenes that suddenly either encourage us to do new things or make them possible for the first time um, and we look at them and go actually, actually that's something that I could, I could really use, I could really do within my life um, and I'll adopt it. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And you talk about AI there and things like AI and data. Uh, they're certainly some of the greatest resources that we have in business, aren't they? They make processes a lot quicker within our businesses. They also help us make sort of better decisions. But do you have to be conscious in the sense that when you're sort of using data especially, um, that you don't sort of base decisions too far ahead on the numbers that you're garnering from the here and now because things are susceptible to change? 
yes, hundred percent. I mean, I'm I'm a passionate advocate of not designing your future with your past. Um, and you know that there are there are all sorts of indicators that you can use to um, assess how well your business is doing. Typically, not always, but typically, um, things like data and financial information are historic indicators. By the time you can see them, they've already happened because the data has been collected or you're reporting on the last quarter's results or whatever. So effectively, what you're really doing there is you're always looking at a version of the past. What they can't tell you is what might happen if you did something quite different and quite new or how people might respond to those things based on what you know of them today. So I think it's a, it's a very dangerous um, practice to infer that because something has happened up until now, because the data tells us that this thing is true or has been true up until now, that, that is how we should continue to plot our path into the future. And there are some, obviously there are the big milestone um, disruption cases where if you take someone like um, Nokia back in the day, um, all of their research and all of their data, um, all of their insight told them that what people wanted were more reliable phones with longer battery life. And, and that was true. That is what people were telling them. Mm. As soon as Apple came along and launched the iPhone, and it gave people complete new capabilities, of which actually the phone was a pretty poor part of it, and the battery life was terrible. Um, you know, we all know what happened since that whole marketplace exploded because people could could do something new. They could, you know, kind of take their lives with them in this little device that those that previous generation of devices had never managed to give them. So, you know, in many of those cases, you get that kind of unexpected pattern change come about where um, if you just follow what looks like the logical conclusion, A, everybody else will arrive at the same place because they can all see those um, those kind of logical patterns too. But B, when you get there, there may not be any customers left or all the people that you're looking to serve may have gone somewhere else entirely because actually they've been tempted to go in a very different path because somebody has launched something more progressive or more imaginative. Yes, I suppose with logical thinking, it's kind of that you can't, you almost fall into the trap, don't you, of doing more of the same or just building on the same foundations. Whereas I suppose if you sort of think laterally versus logically, something a term that you've, of course, used yourself before, that can then yeah. allow you to sort of build on what's already there in a much more innovative way, can't it? Yes, I think it's, um, you, you have to look for more diverse, broad influences. So, so when we're looking at what, somebody's future could be like. Um, we're often looking at the sectors around them. We, we almost never look at the, the area that they operate in. Um, and there are, again, there are really simple um, examples of this that everybody will be familiar with. So obviously, you know, many people know um, and have used Uber. Um, they understand that it's a completely frictionless taxi service. You, you book the car, you get in the car, you get out the car. There's no transaction because your car details are stored in the background. What, the, what people don't think about is that that, Service probably never would have been possible had Amazon over the previous years not got people to be comfortable with storing their credit card details with a third party. Because in, and I'm old enough to remember the, the phases before this, um, but before that, people were actively encouraged not to leave their credit card details with a company. Um, so those sorts of changes 
in one area will often enable a big shift in behavior in another. Um, we think one of the, the interesting ones at the moment is open banking. Um, and again, there's a you know a great saving service um, that many of us use, and I use one called Chip. Um, and it's an AI-based um, savings tool. Um, and if you'd asked me years ago, would I let a startup connect up to my bank account and take money out of it, on a regular basis to put it in their account to hold for me as a savings pot, I'd have said absolutely not. Um, but I do, and I've done it for years, and the service is actually really good. And there are many others like it where um, we, as we become comfortable with giving access to um, our, you know, our bank accounts or any other aspects of the way that we operate our lives, new services can emerge that enable us to do things that we would never have been able to to do before, so I think it's 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 really exciting when you think about how many things are going on in the world, how many emerging technologies there are, um, and how many of those we might be able to turn into things that can, you know, really significantly change for the better how people live and work. And that's so, so important, isn't it? And this is where it gets incredibly clever because when you're looking at external influences like that, it's not necessarily technologies that you can implement in your own business to make your product or offering better it's also how those changes elsewhere are going to influence uh, sort of consumer behavior because that ultimately is going to affect the market that you're targeting and if you can better understand and cater to consumer behavior you're ultimately going to have a better business yes 100 percent, and i think it applies in all aspects of life um technology and obviously you know we're in a we're in a an exponential technology age where things are changing and developing at exponential um, speed. And I think my view has always been that technology is an ingredient. Um, it's never the whole dish. You know, you don't, you don't use as a person AI. You use a service that is powered by aspects of machine learning or artificial intelligence. So it can inspire a dish um, and that can be a reason for building that service, but it can equally just be a very small part of it and could be you know, one of many ingredients that are needed to make a service work. So I think when, you, when you're thinking about how the world is changing and when you're thinking about new technologies, it, it's critical not to think of them as the answer. Um, they, are, they are a means to an end. They're, a, they're an enabler. Sometimes they're a very large part of the context behind um, the new service, and at other times they are a completely invisible um, thing that's ticking along in the background that's just making transactions faster or processes better or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it's a it's another one of the things I'm often cautioning people about that you know that while we're in a highly sophisticated and exciting um, age of technology, those technologies on their own um, are not things that people can interact with. People need services and tools and products. Um, that you know that, that that technology can feed into that will enable people to do new things or you know that live their lives in different ways. Exactly right, and I suppose one dimension of it is if you are a business that's going to be influenced by sort of those adjacent influences that we've talked about, you've got to understand how emerging technologies and new behaviours are going to affect your business, your target market. But I suppose yeah. if you're the innovator who is going to be disrupting the market and creating opportunities for other businesses, perhaps. I guess the the root of what you're doing is to try to influence or even invent sort of 
consumer behavior you've got to come up with something that ultimately is going to change the way that people behave and essentially make a product appealing because um, Airbnb is something that you sort of cited in a previous publication as a good example of that in the sense that they looked at hotels hotels are quite expensive and they decided to make it easy for people to stay in other people's houses for a, a cheaper rate basically and that is their product yeah and the interesting thing is that again if you'd if you'd framed that proposition to a consumer some years before in, in the same way that if you said to people would you be comfortable getting into a stranger's car late at night to be taken home um would you be comfortable going and staying in somebody else's bedroom that you've never met in a, in a far-off country most people would have reacted adversely to that but when the service is put in front of them and it's thought through um, and people start feeding back positive experiences of using it, then the the snowball starts moving um, and you, you know you start to see that people start adopting those services in much greater numbers and then they become you know what, what are apparently overnight successes but obviously it's often taken years to get to that point. So I, I do think that that, that diversity and a, you know looking broadly, um, is, is one of the most critical components. We're 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 in the midst of um, developing a new advisory program um, because we found that there are there are many smaller companies who would really benefit from access to the kind of learnings and um, and and kind of experiences that we see from much bigger companies, but they can't get access to them easily, and they can't um, they just can't plug into. And that broader knowledge, and we think there were just there are endless experiences from um, surrounding sectors that can benefit everybody. So I think everybody should be looking broadly and trying to get um, as 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 I said, as diverse a range of inputs as possible. And I, I suppose the other you know the other point to all of this is that none of it's any good without a vision. Mm. Um, you, you've got to have a clear purpose to what you're doing. You need to know why you exist. And you need to be able to articulate a, a vision for the future that those ideas, you know, become a part of. So, you know, Uber's underlying vision is actually about mobility. It's about moving people around and about moving things around. Um, arguably, a taxi service is just the, the first incarnation of what could become a very different philosophy for how people own or don't own vehicles. It absolutely could, and it's about essentially not looking to solve sort of modern day problems is it that are there in the here and now it's essentially just looking at opportunities and ways to disrupt and ways to change because like I say nobody would have thought that sort of Airbnb solution um, was essentially going to sort of solve a common problem of well hotels are sometimes in short supply and quite expensive Um, but like essentially it's something completely different that's just provided an alternative in the market and it's done incredibly well as a result of that so it's not necessarily just and there about, are some yeah. very expensive properties on Airbnb. You know, it well. isn't, yeah. it, you know, it, it, it obviously when it started, it was about capacity and about providing low cost access to places to stay. But as it's evolved, you know, there are there are properties on there that you can pay probably ten thousand a night for um, in a you know a luxurious location that would be more expensive than most hotels. So it, it's interesting how. Once you once you embed a new behaviour in a marketplace and you enable new things to happen, those things will naturally get a kind of a life of their own. Mm. Um, and you'll see because again, it's back to that thing about the, the kind of the plasticity of, of of people that once we get used to doing something new 
and we enjoy doing something new, and that might have been, you know, a trip and staying, you know, for lower cost initially for an Airbnb example. But over time, um, the familiarity of that process means that actually when we want to then go and do something that's much more of a treat or much more of a luxury, why wouldn't we turn to a mechanism that we really enjoy using instead of going back to those ones that we, you know, we left behind? Exactly right. Uh, these are all of the key things that you do need to be thinking about. And uh, for anybody who is listening into the uh, the show today and does want to read a little bit more into future state design, as we've been talking about throughout this episode, um, Mark has uh, published um, a book of his own that's available on Amazon. That's Future State Design, How to Step Out of the Past to Create a Business Fit for the Future. And that, Mark, outlines um, a lot of what we've uh, talked about today, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And I, it's, it, it's a hopefully a gentle read um it, it's intended to be uh, something that really just gets people to think differently about the things that they should design their future with and the things that they really shouldn't design their future with and we've touched on on some of them today um but, you know what we, we will always caution people from digging too deeply into their current operations before they start thinking about what to do next we, we've we've had many many years we've we've counseled people to do the opposite because no matter what you do, the more you think about today, the more of that you will carry with you. Um, you know, we, we have this line that we use that you won't find the future in the spreadsheet, but it still has to look good in one. So you've got to be prepared to invent and you've got to do some things that may be illogical um, and things that you, you, know, you, don't, you can't immediately see how they would um, logically play out in order to get to something further down the line where when you look back at it, you say, well, why didn't we always do that? Um, or why didn't that always exist? And that's, that's always the case with those real breakthrough innovations. They seem incredibly obvious and, and logical once you've found them, mm. but the creation process of getting to them was anything but. And it's the creation process that entrepreneurs really do need to be aware of, isn't it? Because these successes don't just happen overnight they're not conceived and they're not on the table for consumers in literally the click of a finger it is something that requires so so much dedication and so much research and so much thought and i suppose in some senses that's the uh, the trap that we uh, sometimes fall into i think we crave that overnight success just that little bit too much yeah and i think it, it's you know one of those things that people don't reflect on is that not many startups have a second idea um you know Startups are the product of innovation generally. So somebody's had a great idea or they've come up with a new concept or something. The company, you know, we just used to call them new businesses, but now they might be called a startup. Um, the company's formed to realize that idea and to bring it to market. And people go out and raise money in, in all sorts of ways or, you know, um, bootstrap it and, and get it out to market that way. But, but that company is a product of the invention process. Um, and so very few of those um, companies that emerge from that process then go on to develop a second or a third innovative service. And that's partly because of the way that venture capital works, where those, you know, they'll, they'll try and get that company sold. But it's partly because um, actually those companies weren't built to generate ideas. They, they were built to execute an idea um, and don't have the mechanisms in them to um, identify and, and you know, bring new opportunities to market. And it's just it's just a fascinating stat about about startups that they are they're actually some of the worst 
innovators as companies um, because they are, you know, and should be in many cases kind of single-mindedly focused on executing the idea that they've been formed with, you know, to the best, you know, the best standard they can. I suppose that's where that agility comes in that we've talked about already, being able to essentially adapt the plan. The vision, of course, has to remain as such. I mean, the end goal is exactly um, pretty much what it is. But um, yeah. what you need to do is make sure that the strategy and the way that you get there can change and can adapt, of course, as we've spoken an awful lot about today. And um, something that we've spoken a great amount about on the program today is the uh, the future and all about how businesses can look to the future step out of their past and head into sort of the, that pathway to uh, to success um and talking about the future with regards to uh, to your business uh, mark just before we do sort of wrap things up on the show today i was wondering if you had any sort of big plans of your own for the upcoming year and uh, any milestones for sort of what you're doing and continuing to help business leaders really sort of let go of the past and move forward Yes, I mean we're you know we're we're, we're um, doing a physician heal thyself thing. Um, so we're we as we said at the beginning with you know we're um, twenty year old twenty years old this week. Um, there are very few businesses like ours that are independent um, who are who ever reached that milestone. So you know it's a great point for us to reach, but it's also a good time for us to to change. So we're we're going to change our name. Um, we're going to become the Future State Design Company. Um, Future State Design is our, our kind of anchor methodology. It's a thing that everybody knows us for. Um, and it gives us a, a new suit of clothes and a new philosophy, I suppose, for what we hope is the next 20 years. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going into next year with um, a view to we will continue to do the kind of um, high, you know, intensive programs of work that we do with companies to help them um, develop new strategies and bring new products and services and ideas to life. But alongside that, we're um, spinning up this um, uh, advisory program, which is a very low-cost, light-touch, um, supportive approach to helping smaller companies, newer companies, um, tap into a lot of that um, expertise that we've built from um, you know all of our work with hundreds of large companies over the years um, to really help them avoid some of the big pitfalls that they might fall into um, and take the good shortcuts. You know, we often refer to them as the kind of the black cap shortcuts, um, the ones that you wish you knew before you set out on the journey. Um, and there are so many of them where people just don't need to spend money on something or don't need to do a particular thing um, to get to the result they want um, or can just avoid what is, you know, we, we, we will often very early and say you know if you if you go down that route you know you'll end up driving into a cul-de-sac um and you'll have to turn around and um you know you'll have done quite a lot of fuel going down there so yeah for us next year it's um it's very much about you know positioning ourselves for like i said hopefully um the next 20 years um and thinking about how we can help more and more companies become successful innovators because we 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 firmly believe and we always have done that the economy particularly in the UK where we have a very um, innovation centric economy I would say um, you know we need to have as many companies in the marketplace bringing new ideas to market as we possibly can so yeah we're, we're, we're looking forward to trying to help as many of those do that as possible. 
And it's absolutely fantastic uh, what you're trying to do. And I certainly do wish you all the uh, the success in the world and really uh, executing those goals and helping business leaders move forward and innovate and disrupt new marketplaces. And here is indeed to the uh, the next 20 years, hopefully. And uh, I'd actually love the opportunity, Mark, to uh, maybe even wel- welcome you back onto the programme in future and catch up just to see how things are all coming together for you. And hopefully there'll be some real absolutely. success. Absolutely, would be delighted to. Yeah, hopefully it'll be an opportunity to reflect on some real successes. And uh, thank you again for taking the time to uh, to join us on the uh, the programme. And uh, just a reminder to everybody out there, uh, do uh, look out uh, for uh, for Mark's book on Amazon. That's Future State Design, How to Step Out of the Past to Create a Business Fit for the Future. And that involves um, a lot of those uh, those themes that we've been talking about today on the programme. And uh, if what we have discussed does particularly resonate with you and you have a comment to leave with us directly, then you can do that via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us or you can even apply to be on the programme yourself and share your perspective on this or any other topical matter or issue. And that would be via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply if you wanted to do that. And um, For now, it has been my immense pleasure to welcome Mark Wilson, CEO and Managing Partner at Wilson Fletcher onto today's show. Mark, once again, thank you for your time. And to all of our listeners, I've been your host, Scott Challoner, today. And until next time, when we'll be back with a whole new perspective on leadership and current affairs, please do take care all and goodbye.